you sound like you sound like my wife and all my friends. Like they, they always, like before they introduce me to other people, they always got to prep them and be like, "Hey, here's uh, here's Luke. Uh, interesting. The rabbit. Actually, that would be the name of my podcast, The Rabbit Hole with Lucas Thomas." I'm gonna leave so much of this in just to, just to like as a preview for the rest of the episode, so everyone can see what happened. Welcome back to Strive to Five. As always, I'm your host Joseph Hadaway, and today we have the first ever returning guest in Lucas Thomas. Lucas, real estate investor, financial planner. It is RHM Real Financial Planning, correct? Yes. And um, I'm just gonna say now, if you are looking for professionalism and calmness over the next hour listen to a different podcast because i have a feeling we're about to hop down the rabbit hole and we're about to hop down it pretty quick how you doing oh Lucas? yeah <laughs> i'm doing fantastic my friend uh I'm, I'm just excited to go down these rabbit holes together because you know as i like to say misery loves company my friend we were supposed to hit record like 45 minutes ago and we just kept shooting shooting the crap is how i'm gonna word that um, I don't even know where to start with you. Uh, you know, I, I, my wife. That's what my <laughs> wife says. I don't even know what to do with you. She just throws her hands up and walks away. That's that's usually what it uh, it means. I've won. I think. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to edit any of this. Screw it. We're going live as is. Um, from the minute I actually yeah. actually hit record, not the minute I did the intro. So we're supposed to talk about the fire movement today. Yes. The master of the yield: How to achieve fire. So, Lucas, I, I guess let's start with, I haven't made fire content in a while. I think since the last time you and I spoke, I've kind of moved away from it. So, quick reminder, what what is fire and how are you helping people reach it? Uh, so, fire is financial independence, retire early. And I agree with you. A lot of people don't, like, it's a fun concept until you realize the work that's involved. You know what I mean? Like, that's the problem with the fire movement. It's... Uh, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. So I, that's why a lot of people they they get into it, and like the moment it gets tough, they get out of it, right? And that's why I'm, and that's how I help people, because like I've seen everything, I've done everything. I pretty much like they call me the man of rabbit holes. But the fun thing about going down these rabbit holes is that like you really can't surprise me anymore. And then when I do get surprised, it's really like a super amazing situation that you're kind of like wow i didn't know you can make a crack pipe out of that and like you know what i mean like that's like that's those are the moments you know you're just like yeah so that's the thing though but then the problem is most people is like like i'm just that guy that can just be like oh no this is this is completely normal but everything's on fire i'm like yeah it's always on fire it's called a tire fire they, they burn for years don't worry about it Actually, isn't it, isn't that isn't there like a burning tire fire in Pennsylvania? I like, like the only one I know of is in Springfield and The Simpsons. You could be right. I have no idea. No. So here's what happened. So I think it's actually in Pennsylvania. It was a uh, it was a I think it was a coal mine, and the, it it blew up. But then the, there's so much coal; it's been burning for like 40 years, and the city's actually been abandoned. But it's like yeah, the city's been on fire in Pennsylvania for like 40 years. So. Okay, yeah, no, uh, you're a little off on that time frame, according to this article I just found. Uh, according Sweet. to some local Pennsylvania, uh, it was on fire for 22 years. Oh, wow. And the fire was deemed extinguished back in 2014. Oh, wow. Well, I haven't lived in 
I haven't lived in Pennsylvania since like 2008. So I'm sorry, my Pennsylvania lore <laughs> knowledge is, is lacking, my friendo. Oh, but there was a 1996 uh, fire that shut down I-95 in Pennsylvania for a while because it was a giant tire fire on the interstate. Okay. Oh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like Florida. You know what I mean? It's in its own little special way. If you're from Florida, you'll you'll understand. <laughs> or if you've ever seen a Florida man headline, I, I think you'll understand. Oh yeah. Well, Pennsylvania is like the second cousin of that, you know, but they don't talk about us, you know. So uh, if you don't mind me asking, you know, you're originally from Pennsylvania. Where where are you at now? Where are we where are we meeting you from? Oh, so I'm in Las Vegas now. Um, I'm 50% in Las Vegas, 50% in Phoenix, Arizona. Those are my two stomping grounds. But then I'm in like four other states, buying rental properties, uh, flipping houses, that kind of stuff. And how, and how many doors are you up to now? Oh, God. I mean, probably 30. It's hard to tell sometimes because we get the fourplexes. And the fourplexes, like, they kind of just blur together. And I don't even know where some of them are because, you know, it's just an Excel spreadsheet. Does that make any sense? Like, it's like, because I try to tell people, like, so do you go look at every house? I'm like, well, if I looked at every house, I'd have to buy so many plane tickets. And at the end of the day, it's it's just what? It's, a, it's, a, it's some, some wood. It's some, it's some wood. It's a basement. And it's an attic. I'm sure. I'm sure it's a house, right? Like, and it's so funny. A lot of my clients, they don't know where the houses are either. So we're all just, like, hopelessly, like, Hey, does anyone actually know what we own and where? I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. Cash flow is still coming, bro. And they're like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, hey, it's just numbers on a spreadsheet. Get with the game, son. <laughs> you know what? Uh, two two comments on that. Like, man, one day I want to own enough real estate that I will lose it. All right, because it's not like it, <laughs> it's not like it gets up and goes anywhere. So I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure I follow. But uh, number two. I'm gonna just gonna dock something we talked about pre pre recording. You mentioned a friend who can't get dates because he's a landlord. Oh I, yeah, that's I th- I think statements like that are why, or at least they uh, don't help. Oh, so why 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 can't so why can't landlords get dates sometimes? Well, um, have you ever like like the most like. 90% like all every tenant I've ever known the moment they find out you're a landlord they immediately just in their brain just immediately like they have a flashback to that landlord that they hated in college and then I'm immediately that guy you know what I mean it's like you can you can actually see like the PTSD in their face and you're just like oh wow wow yeah they, they, they're going they're oh, they're flashing back are you, are you back yet are you back no no <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't fix your hot water heater for two weeks and you basically died as a person got it well Okay. <laughs> um my uh my my college landlord horror story and I'll tell this one now. Um it was actually a company, not even a individual person, um which confuses me more. They're uh, all dude, all, all landlords <laughs> are awful in their own special way. It doesn't matter if they're rich, poor, in the middle. They're all awful in their own special way. Well, what I was going to say was uh I went 45 days in July and August without an AC unit in southern alabama oh geez. uh one of the maintenance guys uh cause they only had one hvac so they were they had like eight apartment complexes in our city but they only had one hvac guy and he was out of town for like a month because i think his daughter was graduating or something with the navy maybe 
getting out of the service, maybe finishing boot camp, something like that. So I was just told, yeah, nobody's fixing your stuff till Stanley gets back. One of the maintenance guys, I was a poor college student. I mean, I, I wouldn't even really afford to eat. One of the maintenance guys felt so bad for me. He went out and bought a Wendy unit for me out of his own pocket. You know, it's funny. I like I've heard that that is like the most normal landlord story ever, because the problem is you if you're not a landlord, you don't relate to the landlord in any shape or form. You just see a monster. But I relate with the landlords on this because I bet you it's a small town. There's only like three AC dudes. One's addicted to drugs. The other one is really good. So he's always busy. And then there's Stanley, who's the only guy who's like he's like, OK, but he's not great but he's the only one that shows up on such a regular basis that keeps everyone happy type of thing. And you're like, dude, I really don't want the drug addict and I don't want to overpay for the guy who charges 10 times. Plus I can't get him until for six months. So like, it's funny that you say all this stuff and immediately my brain's like, Oh yeah, it happens to me all the time. Like contractors are terrible, man. Like <laughs> I, I, my number one complaint about being a landlord is contractors is like, I'll give you some examples. Like a hot water heater to be replaced should cost $1,500. And you'll get quotes for like $4,000 to $5,000. And I will literally sit there on homedepot.com and I'll sit there and I'll be like, I'm sitting on homedepot.com. I can buy the hot water heater for $700. How are you getting $3,300 for a three hour job? I, I, I explain this math to me. They're like, well, I've got to get the permits. I'm like, dude, I, I called the city. The permit's $110. Like this is like material cost, permit cost is $1,000. Like the average plumber costs $125 an hour. Where's the $3,000 coming from? <laughs> well, you know, you know, inflation. I'm like, dude, you make more money than high powered attorneys. You're making $1,000 an hour. You make more money than high powered attorneys who went to law school for like 15 years. You make more money than them on this deal. And they're like, yeah, well, welcome to plumbing. And I'm like, oh my. See, I, I believe that. I tweeted about this recently. Um, and I'll, I'll post it here again if you're watching the YouTube video. Um, if you're not, move to YouTube. We need subs. Um, I I had to replace a, a flush valve in one of our toilets recently. Cost me like $16 at Lowe's and took me like 30 minutes to install myself. My neighbor next door had the same problem, didn't know how to fix it. So she called a plumber and they charged her $187 for the exact same thing. And I hear that and I'm like, well, you know, what, what did you pay for? I know the part is $16. And if it took me, who is very much not a contractor, 30 minutes to install, how long did it take the actual plumber? Oh, yeah, like 10 seconds. Like, oh, yeah. Like, done. And you're like, and he's like, well, dude, that's what you're paying for the speed. I'm like, I don't care if it's done in 10 seconds versus a half hour. Why did you charge me? Don't get me started. Like, the, like I, 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 I feel sorry for you and I feel bad that you didn't have AC for 45 days. But like my immediate response is like, contractors man like that's that's what it is and it's like but you're the monster because you can't find the contractors and like so two the two worst contractors hvac plumbing because it's always an emergency so they gouge okay. that, that's what they do they gouge because there's safety issues someone could get hurt next thing and then they gouge you and they're like oh well you know uh, it's an emergency so i'm gonna charge you ten thousand i'm gonna charge you 10 times the cost because they gouge so don't get me started i actually teach an entire class on contractor stables and i hate contractors like i'm and I, i've actually been fired before because of my hatred of contractors like i've done classes they're like we don't like how you treat those people i'm like i'm in like three lawsuits with contractors right now and so i i 
I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, like, like I'm glad that your cousin, you're you have a great relationship with your cousin. He happens to be a plumber, and you get sweetheart deals. I'm so happy for you. The rest of us. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. I'm gonna I'm gonna say life advice for everybody out there. Uh, my wife's uncle is a professional home flipper. Um, marry someone with if you don't have connections, marry someone with connections. Like that man has saved us so much money on so many repairs, um, and there will never be enough six packs in the world for me to repay him. That's so funny. Um, I think the, someone was telling me there's like a dating strategy. Like you just kind of pick up pick up people from Home Depot. Like that's a that's a dating tactic for everyone out there. Pick up guys from Home Depot or women from Home Depot because they're handy. Like he said, marry one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it works, it works. I won't argue with that. Um, well, yeah, it's I, like if you're trying to marry an attorney, you're not going to be hanging out at Walmart or, oh, I did it again. You're going to blip me. Wow. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be. Let's go. If you haven't listened to part one with Lucas, uh, please <laughs> go back and do that. Um, I know I bleeped you a lot. Which is funny. Like, Usually, I get bleeped for being a sailor mouth, not for uh, my hatred of everyone else. You know. <laughs> well, I, I will say I only bleeped Walmart because I thought it would be funny, and I got <laughs> d I got DMs about it, and people were so people were listening. Somebody else thought it was funny. Uh -huh. But I mean, to be fair, you were just telling your experience of having to like take a bus and work there and were you like oh, yeah. fired, fired yeah. for being sad, which <laughs> for the record is hilarious. Oh, uh, man. Well, dude, I'm such a carefree, loving guy. Right. And then it's like, hello. Uh, hello. Would you like to die in this corporate empire? I'm like, oh, joy. Tell me more about and then, and then, and then, you, and then they try to explain to you how food stamps is the only way you can survive on this wage. That, that I that, remember those. I remember those corporate meetings too. They're like, "Hey guys, we know we don't pay you enough, so uh, here's how you apply for food stamps and other welfare." Uh, yeah, yeah, I used to go to corporate meetings all the time, three, four hours at a time. They would explain us how to get on welfare because they don't pay enough. And I'm like, "Yep." Yeah, that. I, I'm not going to get into too much of a rant on that, but man, does that rub me the wrong way. Oh, um, yeah. Because I know well, now I mean, that uh, Amazon does the same thing. Oh, don't get me started. I'm from Pennsylvania. Did you know our grocery stores have unions? Like, that's like, we're, I'm from the state of unions, right? And, and like, and I try to tell people, it's like, it's like, why are you so pro union? I'm like, because, you know, if, you, if you're not pro union, what's Amazon? You got to pee in bottles and stuff, you know? Like, <laughs> because <laughs> they, they'll fire you if you take too many bathroom breaks and so it's like oh lovely tell me more about how i can get a job here see i i'm from the deep south where unions are probably communist um oh here, here's the question that that might be the hottest political that might be the only political take i've ever taken on recording do i leave it in well, it's not even politics. It's like, dude, like, dude, you gotta remember where where did unions come from? Pennsylvania, Carnegie Mellon, freaking like Pinkertons used to kill us in the street. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's where like union, the birth of unions is is Pennsylvania. <laughs> the steel workers, uh, like, uh, like, like, like it's so it's funny though because I'm like literally like I am the I am the I am the great 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 grandson of people who got their heads caved in because they wanted they didn't want child labor anymore. You know what I mean? 
can we just not have child labor anymore? Oh, what? You're gonna you're gonna blow up my you're gonna blow up the 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 the, uh, the company store? You're gonna, like, oh man, don't get me started, man. It's, it's not a political take. It's more of a it's more of a like, hey, can we just stop the child labor thing? No, no. Oh, you're gonna blow up my house instead? Oh, okay. Um, can we like get living wages? No, you're gonna you're gonna cut my you're gonna cut my tires and you're gonna hire scabs. Oh, good. All right, fantastic. And then you're gonna fire everybody and give no one a living wage. Oh, good. Tell me more about how I can live in this corporate dystopian society. Now, where do I sign up? <laughs> I'll say I didn't know that about Pennsylvania, and I, I I have to also say that is so much funnier based on what we talked about again before we hit record. That when you grow up in the woods, like we both did, making bombs is a hobby. Oh, joy. Oh, wow. You really have changed your content. Like, we Oh, yeah. Big, big time. <laughs> uh, that. Well, oh, yeah. Now, oh, dude, now we're on a watch list. This is your fault, Joseph. We're on a watch list now. I was going to say, uh, that one might even get a little bleep, too, if this goes, uh, if this becomes a TikTok clip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got to be careful. Oh, man. Uh, so yeah, no, no, like Google the history of unions, and like, 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 literally, Pennsylvania is the birth, the birthplace of unions, you know. And everyone's like, you know, I understand it's a whole political thing now, but back in the day, it was just like, hey, can uh, we just? And it's so funny. I was just talking to somebody. They're like, well, they're different now. I'm like, dude, they made child labor legal again. Like they would do it. Like that's what they do. Like not like at the moment it's legal. They like it doesn't like they're like well more morality will keep those people in place. No, it's not how it works. Like they don't do it because it's illegal, not because it's the right thing to do. You okay? <laughs> anyway. I I to be fair, I think that's something that like most people can agree on, and I say most because I I know some people will disagree with me on this statement corporations do a lot of the things they are you know do or don't do because it's illegal not because it's right or wrong and i i think you're 100 correct on child labor i 100 think that like man if like mcdonald's could have you slinging fries at, at 11 they probably would oh what oh no it's really bad right now they're actually changing a bunch of laws in different states they're trying to make like the new uh work age like 14 now because they can't get because they're refusing to raise wages. So they're like, well, let's just get the younger people who don't know. They're just happy to get $2 an hour. You're wait, like, wait, well, wait. Can, can I cut you off for a second? Like, is that not the law? Was 14 not already the law in every state? Uh, well, I, I think they're trying to make it even lower. I, uh, I thought it was 16. But then again, you're from the deep south. So I just yeah. assume it could be like 12 or 2. Or <laughs> oh, God. <like>. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I was saying, welcome I, to unions, baby. This is what we do. <laughs> so I, I, I worked at public supermarkets, and I think I even talked about this when you were bashing Walmart on the last podcast. Um, and they, they proudly hire at their in all, all locations that I know of. Um, at fourteen, I know it's heavily limited, but uh, they proudly do it. So I thought that oh, yeah. was the nationwide law, but then again, I, I will no, admit I could be wrong. No. No, like in Pennsylvania, you have to be 16, but you also get permission from the parents. It's like, well, we're the, we're the state of the union, okay? Like, like, like most of the laws that trickled throughout America all started in the birthplace of Pennsylvania, right? So, like, that's Pennsylvania. Not only did we, like, it's actually funny. I was talking to another Pennsylvanian again the other day because everyone always forgets that Pennsylvania is the birth of our country. You know what I mean? So I'm like, yes. I'm Pennsylvanian. You're welcome. 
you're welcome for America. And they're like, we hate you, Luke. I'm like, that's not the point. The point is, you're welcome. And everyone needs to remember. Yeah. So what you're saying is the Eagles are America's team. Oh, God, no. Steelers! How dare you come to me with Philadelphia stuff? All right? I mean, sir, sir, I'm a Saints fan, all right? Come me, come me a little slack. We're hurting pretty bad right now. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. And then, I mean, then we just talk about the Browns. You know, it's funny thing about the Browns. I mean, I don't know who thought it was a great idea to name their football team after diarrhea. But, hey, each their own, I guess. Right there, right there. I, I said 20 minutes to go. Actually, we're about 20, 18, 20-ish minutes into this. If you're expecting professionalism, listen to another episode. <laughs> I, I talked to Kage last week. Kage and I had a great talk. If you want, like, calmness, go for that. But if you want to have a good time, keep listening. Oh, yeah, no worries. But, yeah, no, so back to the original question here. Uh, so, fire, it's really <laughs> tough to do. Wait, 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 wait. To do. Did we really go from fire to the NFL? Did we really just do that? Dude, I told you it's the rabbit hole. I'm gonna I'm gonna start my own podcast. It's called The Rabbit Hole with Lucas Thomas. And you're gonna like we're gonna start with this super serious topic, like like drug addiction. And then we're gonna be over here talking about Disneyland. And it's like, dude, Disneyland is the best place ever. Unless you're addicted to drugs. I'm sorry, everybody. Let's get back to what we're supposed to be talking about. Drug addiction. Okay. Yeah. But if Disneyland was a drug, I'd be addicted. Oh, and then they're like, they just, no. <laughs> that is the incorrect answer, Luke. I'm like, oh, okay, God. Seriously. I'm going to be crying by the end of this. I can I can feel it coming. But yeah, fire movement. Yeah. Financial so, independence yeah. retire early. So I, yeah. also, I also want to ask you this. Um, so you have your speaker kit on your website, which is what we discussed leading up to this episode. Um, you describe your fire as master of the yield. Are we talking like bond yields, T-bills, dividend yields, or am I off uh, base entirely? Well, yield is pretty much the yield on like any profit, right? So you can get a yield on farming. You get a yield on uh, real estate. It's just like another word. And I'm from far. I came from farm people. So I really am like partial to yielding. Like literally my grandpa, I, I went, I met my grandpa and he's like, dude, you would have made a great hay man, Luke. And I'm like, I'm assuming that is the best compliment ever from the 1920s. Yes. Thank you, grandpa. <laughs> made a great hay man. So uh, yeah, because my, my great grandfather, he owned a dairy farm. So like, that's how, like, you know what I mean? Like that, like dairy farmer unions, like me and then. <laughs> So I, I had a sponsor lined up for this episode. I think we're moving it to another one. I, I, I think we're past the point. <laughs> I don't think too many major brands want to be associated with this. Um, oh, no worries. That's, that's what happens, my friend. So yeah. Hey, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. So one day we can get that ad revenue. Yeah. Right. That, um, so... those, those pennies per day. That I will beg, oh, yeah. I will beg Google for. Oh yeah, right. Well, that's the problem with like uh, speaking of yield. I mean, that's like YouTube ad spread. You know, trying to get a yield out of that. It's like you post everything, and they're like, "Hey, you make exactly twenty dollars a week. Congratulations, Joseph." Yeah, I I say that as someone who's been in the YouTube game going on two years now and is not yet monetized. I'm, I enjoy it. I like what I do. I enjoy doing this a lot. But I'd be lying to say I'm not a little jaded sometimes. 
yeah. Well, it's like a, <laughs> such a well, their algorithms are so uh, brutal. You know what I mean? It's like a ninety-nine percent get nothing and the one percent get everything type of thing. You know, it's very uh, re realistic, as they say. But yeah, either way, um, but yeah, no, like the, the fire movement, a lot of people get out of it. It's just so hard to accomplish, right? Everybody wants to get rich scheme. They all just want to eat, like, like, you know what I mean? They just sit there and go, I was just making fun of a guy for the Burr method, which is buy, rehab, rent, and they use hard money to do it. And I'm like, well, you can't do that model because the appraisers won't let you. But then they don't tell you that in the YouTube videos. They, they just say, this is how it works. It's so easy. It's so simple. Give us $30,000 and you can walk away with this perfect knowledge of how to become rich in real estate. You're like, no, none of that's how any of this works. And it's the worst part is you, you can always tell when they walk into your office and you're like, like, hey, dude, I want to do this. I'm like, that doesn't work. Well, well, you're not on YouTube and have a million followers. Well, yes, I'm not on YouTube. I don't have a million followers. That doesn't change the fact that that doesn't work. <laughs> like, bigger, it worked. Big, uh, mm -hmm. Bigger number, better person, obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, exactly. Right? It's like, uh, yeah, they would never sell you on the Bitcoin train down to uh, whatever depths of the <laughs> whatever depths the crypto crypto world goes into. Uh, don't get me started on that about crypto. It's it's because all you got to do is so funny. Crypto is so funny to me. Everyone thinks it's new and exciting. But all it is is a proto stock market. So if you just look at the stock market before the Security Exchange Commission existed, the crypto market is literally this pre pre sec stock market. Like they, they have ex they're like almost exact replicas of all the scams and stuff that people ran back then. It's like a, it's like old dog, new tricks. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's like I explain to people, if you just look at history, you can usually find an exact, almost an exact replica of what happens in today. Because like I said, most, most everything that happens today is an old dog new trick. You know what I mean? I like how you brought up crypto yourself, told me not to get you started, then went off on it anyway. <laughs> well, the problem is like that one thing. <laughs> well, you always got to warn people. And I, and I, like I said, I like to tell people. If you want to know how it works, just go back and look at pre-sec stock market. That's important because if you go do the research, then I don't have to. I don't have to go off on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do want to hone in on something you said. So you said the Burr method doesn't work. Are you specifically speaking in relation to like hard money? Because I what I see a lot online is people tell you to get the you know the um is the FHA mortgage three three and a half percent down, yeah. Wait, which. We, uh, and they tell you to do it that way. What are your thoughts? Are is it hard money specific, or are you saying that Burr just doesn't work anymore? I wouldn't say it doesn't work. It depends on the strategy. Most of the guys that walk in my office, they use hard money and they try to do the flip or the rehab within six months. You know what I mean? But most loans, they don't like the appraisers get stuck in what you bought it for until after a year. I mean, that's how appraisers are. They just don't like it. Like unless you do major renovations. They 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 get they'll get they'll get locked on what you bought it for, and it usually just kills the you know what I mean. They just don't like these like so then. But most people they'll get only a twelve month hard money loan, but it's like dude, you really need an eighteen month one. But no one tells them that. They just get there and they're like, I got a six month hard money loan, and it's just like doot 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 whammo, which you know, and then you make all the money. And I'm like, that's not how it works. So you know, like you said, it does work. However, most of the time, like when people come into my office, it's the wrong method, right? So if you're just, and the worst part is, is like, they'll have no money in the game, right? 
FHA is completely different because mm -hmm. it's a normal loan. It's 30 year fixed. They're putting money down. But a lot of people, they're like, that's the Burr method where you put no money in, you have no skin in the game, everything's hard money. And then they just expect the numbers to work out at the back end. It's like, and uh, I was like, let's make this definition as well. Cause I know a lot of people don't know what is hard money. Uh, hard money is uh, anything that is considered. It's really hard to say now. It's anything that they're short term loans, usually 24 months or less. Uh, they usually charge uh, four or five percent higher than everyone else. Uh, like, like if you went to like if you went to FHA, uh, conventional DSCR, those kind of loans, they're always about four or five percent higher. And the thing is, sometimes they'll a hundred percent finance everything. But then the problem is, is there's a lot of hard money. It's un all of it's unregulated. So what's even worse is you get these guys who don't know what they're doing, but then they'll they'll get money from hard money lenders who also don't know what they're doing. And then you get all these people who don't know what they're doing, doing a deal that never should have happened in the first place. Cause I'm doing some deals right now and no one knows what they're doing. It's the strangest thing. It's like the hard money lender watched YouTube video and hard money landed out. And then the guy watched the burn method on the YouTube and he did the thing. So now you have like two people and no one actually has any experience in the actual business. And they're just like, this is how a real estate deal works, right, guys? And like, what have you done? I think Dave Ramsey has a has a, a very popular, famous long rant about that. How you know, just attend this conference and you know, hard money loan. And you know, word, word of advice: if you have to Google what hard money lending is, just don't. Life, uh, life can be pretty easy if you just act like treat it like a payday loan just don't walk in the front door oh yeah exactly or at least know what you're doing like you know what i mean like i always tell people use it with cash first and then you'll know the business and then you can get like if you you, you never use hard money as your first anything ever right and too many people they're just like well the youtube says i should do this and i'm like no don't do that at all that's that's like no i always tell people you have to do like if you're doing fix and flip, use cold hard cash. And therefore you don't have, like you can sell it and then you can always convert it to a rental if you screw up. I mean, you have multiple exit strategies with hard money. That's like, we got 12 months and that's it, go. You know, like, but it's like, hey, but I haven't sold it yet. Like, well, now we're gonna charge you an extra five grand in fees because you didn't sell it the proper timeline. And then this and that, next thing you know, you lose your shirt. Uh, yeah, just don't, uh, don't do anything. But it's like, like, that's what I tell people. And the worst part is it's like you get these people with zero financial literacy and they try to do these methods from YouTube. And you're like, I'm like, you're, I mean, no, no offense, but like, you don't know anything about this business at all. And I, I will also say from a little bit of experience and we, we bought this house with, it is going to be a burr property. Um, we were supposed to be out of it by now. But uh, man, when you buy, especially if you don't know what you're doing, like I didn't, that first property, they're going to throw every little kink and thing uh, away at you. Like we, we were supposed to be out of this house, reappraised onto property number two by now. That was the goal. But then, you know, oh, the appraiser missed miss at the roof leaks. That's eight grand gone. The, uh, the inspector we hired never checked the HVAC. 12 grand gone. We had to reduct the entire house. Um, plus this and oh yeah by the way the uh the front window was never properly sealed and because of the way the siding works you got to replace the whole thing 800 bucks 
God. Uh, unless you go, in my opinion, correct me. You are the expert, so please correct me if I'm wrong on this. Or, uh, man, unless you really, really know what you're doing, don't put that time constraint on yourself. Like, oh, exactly. That's what I'm saying. You should like you're you're doing it the right way, right? Use the law. I like to think that you have 30 years. You have 30 years to figure this out, Joseph. You'll be fine, right? Amen. Well, imagine if you had 12 months to figure this out. You're oh, like, we'd be screwed. Like I, I, we we walked in here with what we honestly thought was a rock solid plan to get out of here within 12, like maybe even 11 months. We'd be done. We'd have a month just to sit around and do nothing. But then the wife's gonna throw stuff at you. And oh, yeah. I still, nutshell, man. I still haven't painted the master bath like I told my wife I'd have done uh, before Easter. Oh wow! It's uh, it's November. Six months. Well, hey, I don't need I don't need this from you too. <laughs> you and me, me and your wife, we don't know each other, but we agree on stuff. We got so much in common. Anyway, you should paint the you should paint the bathroom, bro. Yeah, I, I, it's about that time. I should. You're right. I totally should. But there, it, it it's honestly we get caught up in other projects. Um, because it's like, hey, paint the bathroom. Oh, but the fridge went out. Now we need to go do that. Hey, paint the bathroom. And appraisers and appraisers are so tough on refinances. They hate. Like they absolutely hate like like you'll sit there and go, I bought it for 80, I think it's for 200, and the appraiser will be like, I think it's worth 120. And you'll you'll get like five different appraisers, and each appraiser will say it's worth 120. And they just get caught on. And it's like I I, I literally have a name for it. I call it appraiser risk. I'm like, if I mean everyone's like, well, I'm gonna do this, this, and this. I'm like, well, what what's the appraiser risk? How long are you gonna like when are you asking you to do the refinance? Because I've had refinance, I've had properties that we've owned for five years, and the appraisers will still like I had an appraiser tell me my house, which is worth eight hundred thousand, was worth five hundred. It's a three hundred dollar gap. Yeah, and like that was it. And it's like, and I couldn't do the refinance because I couldn't get an appraiser <laughs> to agree with me. So that's why I don't like that method, especially if you have hard money, because like appraiser risk, even on like a sh- like a sure thing, the appraisers will sometimes just throw curveballs at you for fun. They love that. Yeah, I need I need the uh the city tax uh appraisers coming in January. I need to find a way to convince him that we live in a shed in the backyard. But uh when the simultaneously well, bank... trying to tell everyone else that's worth double what you buy for. Lovely. Yeah. So when the bank appraiser comes, probably sometime early to mid-2024, very Jerome Powell dependent, of course. I'm not trying to pay an eight percent mortgage right now. Um I need to convince them that uh, we're in the process of putting in the pool in the second story, but go ahead and account for it, you know? Yeah, right. But even then, it's like, once I tell people, it's like appraisers are the wild card for any sort of burn method or any really any method. Because if you're not selling, because if you're selling, they're a lot more lenient, right? Because they're like, you found another human being willing to purchase this with money, right? Versus the refinances, I like the only person I need to convince is him. But there's no proof to anyone else that like, if you had another human being with money trying to buy it, it's like it's a completely different conversation. That's why you have to be careful with the appraiser risk because those guys will sleep literally. They'll just say, well, they know. Like if you have someone willing to buy it with money, you have a purchase contract, fine. I will agree that it's at least 10000 below what they're asking because ha, in your face, Luke, because, you know, appraisers. I've been, I've been in real estate for 12 years. And I, I remember how I, I, there, there's a running theme for me. I pretty much hate everyone. Like I hate contractors, I hate appraisers, 
but that's because they just like it, it's just one giant like ha moment you know what i mean and the longer you're in real estate you just start to realize that everyone around you likes to get you in these ha moments and your job is basically overcome since ha, said ha moments but they're like ha got you and you're like well i got i i increased the loan amount uh got concessions so ha in your face i'm still closing wah and then and then it's just like just continuous ha moments between it's like it's a battle of the ha's essentially well uh we we actually had i, I want to compare a comparison here and this is i'll definitely bleep it but uh, i think it'll stay in um in college we had a say like you know why why did things happen in college why are scholarships going down but tuition increasing why are my textbooks two thousand dollars because fuck you that's why <laughs> Like it, you yeah. know why? Why did tuition go up overnight at the university? Because yeah, fuck you guys. That's why. There's no because, other reason. Because at because the administration needs more administration. I just want you to know it's really hard to maintain all these teachers and these schools. We should all make a hundred grand. It's funny the professors make no money and the admin will make six figures. And you're like, wow. Uh, so what does the admin actually do? Well, they don't teach anybody. I know, but they admin. Okay. You know how hard it is to just steal everybody's money. I do want to, I do want to call out my uh, my my alma mater for one thing because I remember I was sitting in like a senior year finance class. I'm a college student who uh, can barely afford to make it by because college student. Um, they have raised tuition on me five times in the last four years, and they put out this. I remember I was sitting in a finance class, and my professor sat down and, "Hey guys, you ever look at our endowment?" Um. Yeah, we are like six times higher than the national average. Like we have like over half a billion dollars just sitting there hanging out. Like the, then why am I paying a hundred extra dollars per credit hour than I did last semester? Right. Actually, it's funny. Uh, we could probably turn an entire episode into that, and I'll tell you about how uh, the federal government giving free money to colleges causes bloat. You know, because it turns out if uh, you charge it and the government will pay it. And there's really no limit on how much you can blow a college system. You know what I mean? I mean, to be fair, don't we kind of, uh, and this is not a political take. This is an accounting take. Uh, don't we kind of have the same theory about the military? Like uh, that they never leave a surplus. If they run up the bill uh, a little higher every year, the U S government will cut the check. Yeah. Well, it's actually a really funny story. I was in the military and I remember days where we just burn off gasoline because because we know because the way the government works is if you don't burn it, you won't get it next year. So we would just burn gas just to just to keep our inventory up for the next year. That's even if we even if we had a surplus, we would just burn it. That's that's exactly what I'm talking about, and like yeah, the police do it, yeah. like any government organization, because because that's how budgets work. Because like if you have a surplus, if you have a surplus, they'll take it from you and they'll put it somewhere else. So you'll literally see the entire government across the entire thing. Every every office will just burn everything because they want to maintain the budget. And I mean, to be fair, I, I I've seen. I mean, that that's not government and military specific. I mean, like companies i've worked for in like my nine to five i've seen do the same thing like uh even again going going back to the publics i worked at we had some extra money laying over the end of the year from whatever money corporate gave us oh so we got new cashier mats and a pizza party you know they weren't going to let that money just sit around oh yeah because mm -hmm. it's like it's like because then the budget will keep like as if you're cost effective your budget starts shrinking and then you can't 
then you can't, but then you can't afford problems. So it's like a catch 22. So like you literally, like you don't want to do it. You want to be cost effective, but the moment you're cost effective, they start cutting your budget. And then you, but then when you have problems, you can't afford the problems and then you become the problem department. And it's like, so it's it's like, like you're basically damned if you do damned if you don't. Very much. I a hundred percent agree. So uh fire movement. Uh, so God, we are 40 minutes into this podcast and we brought up fire twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you, are you Lucas Thomas, Sally Thomas? He told me I could call him before the interview and I'm going to leave that in with <laughs> no context. Yes. Uh, if you see an airplane, you might get it. Right. Uh, but are, are you pursuing fire? What is fire oh. to you? So I pursue fire, but that's why I, I'm, I'm all about master the yield because there's like three ways to achieve fire, right? You got your three pillars of wealth. You got your paper assets, you got your uh, real estate assets, and then you got your business assets, right? Paper is boring. That's your mutual funds. That's your 401ks. That's your uh, notes. That's your hard money lending. It's really boring because all it is is like I am I am finding spread or margin on one piece of paperwork over another piece of paperwork. Uh, I mean, that's all it is, right? Stocks, crypto are considered paper assets because previous to the digitization or everything it was a stock certificates which was paper uh bonds are paper uh but at the end of the day it's just really boring and like in that you can't unless you have a lot of money you really can't make a lot of money in paper assets like it's just a top heavy cat it's a capital heavy asset class right because mm-hmm. paper is always backed by money but then you need the money to even create the paper even with hard money lending you need to have millions of dollars to basically lend to other people who need it and that's why you get the 17 percent interest or the 16 percent interest because you have the money and they don't right it's just, it's just paper assets they're great but they're all but most people can't access it because there's just so much capital you need up front right and then you got your uh, business assets which sound really great until you realize how dangerous it is. Because what, what's the rule of thumb? 80% of businesses fail in the first two years. So great. Tell me more about this asset class where it has an 80% failure rate. I love failure. I eat failure for breakfast. Oh, good. Well, welcome to business assets. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is what we do here. Like I, I have real estate license. I have mortgage licenses. It's the same thing in real estate and mortgage license guys, right? They 80% failure rate, right? 20% of the population makes all the deals. The other 80% just flounders or falls out. Same thing with any business. It's 100%, 80% failure rate. That's really no. Hmm? I think that's exactly why I changed my major in college to uh, when my, I was a music performance major. Hmm. And when my professor said that like, oh yeah, like 95% of you are going to work retail for the rest of your life. Yeah, I changed my major yeah. same day. <laughs> oh yeah, or work at Denny's or whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Pick your poison, <laughs> my friend. Anyway, so business is just such a like, and I, I tell people it's like it's it's, and I always tell people it's never go after your passions. I hate everyone that's like go after your passion. I'm like passions don't make money. That's why they're passions. They're a hobby. Like why? Like if your hobby made money, it would be your profession, right? Like the, get out of here with your hobbies, right? So don't get me started about passions and hobbies. Uh, no, like if I would have told everyone, like I even owned nail salons at one point, uh, right? Because my wife's Vietnamese. And if you own, if you marry a Vietnamese woman, there's a 50% chance you might own a nail salon, right? And I own two nail salons. And if you would have told me when I was in college, 
that Luke would own nail salons, I'd be like, dude, that's the silliest, stupidest thing I've ever heard. Five years later, own nail salons. And, you know, it's, just, you know, I, I I didn't pick nail salons. It's not like I sat there and was like, dude, my major is going to be nail salon tech. Let's do that. No, no. Like, it just, it was there. It was cheap and it caught, and like, I bought it. It was there. It was cheap. It made money. So I bought it. And it made money, and then we sold it for like triple what we bought it for. So it made sense. Like I didn't. I thought like I. And it wasn't even like I was, you know, a super genius. It was just like the opportunity presented itself. It was cheap. I'm like, wow, someone would probably pay triple for this because that's not what they cost. You know what I mean? Uh, it's the same reason I own a farm in Costa Rica. It was like a. It was like a happy accident. You think I wanted to be a farmer? No, but I. I ended up owning it because I ended up owning it by accident because somebody somebody uh, defrauded me out of money and that's the only thing he owned. So I took it and that's just how it works. You know, like you think I want to be a farmer in Costa Rica? No. <laughs> but Again, that. time out. What, what I, I just told that story on Twitter the other day and multiple of you called me a liar. Here's Luke <laughs> brought up the story unprompted. <laughs> oh no, no, it's dude. But my life is just random opportunities that I took advantage of. Like that's it. You know what I mean? It's none of it. Like I didn't even I didn't even mean to become a landlord for a living, right? What happened was I got out of the military, and the military makes you hate bosses. I mean, I'm not exactly a boss person in general. I couldn't imagine being like an employee ever. I'd be the worst employee ever. I'd be that guy that just let me do whatever I want, but I make money, so they leave me alone. Like that that is that is my entire that's my MO. Like if I, I'd be that salesperson that no one likes. Like, well, the right people like me, but everyone else hates, but there's nothing they can do about it because I make so much money that they're like, yeah, we, yeah, that's Luke. We tolerate his existence. But uh, yeah, just see, keep him happy. Now, now, happy that, now that you say that, I could see you like a used car dealership. No. <laughs> I have scruples, son. I, I was just gonna say, now, now that like you say that and you make that comparison, I can see it. But, but anyway, we all have our we all have our little we all we all have we're all our we're all our own special cog in the machine, right? If I, but if I was a cog in the machine, I would be that would be my job. Like that's the sales guy. He's really aggressive. He's loud. He's angry. He's always he's always selling stuff. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing half the time, but I mean the the numbers don't lie. He makes so much money that we tolerate his existence, right? And eventually, you end up owning half the company because you sell so much stuff. And they like you more than the owner, and the owner, and they just kind of force the owner out, right? Straight mutiny. <laughs> By accident, you know. Well, he, he, you know, he had a bad time, and then he, you know, he had a bad time, and next thing you know, he needs money, and I got money, and you know, you buy half the half the company by accident. You know, I didn't mean to. It just happened. Anyway, that's how I get the view becoming wealthy, right? It's just the at like like if you're if you're if your uncle owns an auto shop and it turns out it makes a lot of money and he's he's wants to retire and it's like either sell it or keep it in the family. Well go check the numbers. It might make perfect sense as an absentee owner business. You don't know. Like I don't I know nothing of auto mechanic shops. I would never buy one. But if I had an uncle who had one, I might own one by accident. You know it's like that's that's what master the yield means. It means that you are figuring out how to make yield off the opportunities that are presented for you, right? What's the story? Like you're given the card, like you're giving cards when you're born and you can just play with what you play with the hand you have, you know? So that's like, so the mentality of it is none of us are going to have the same opportunities ever. 
right? So you have to make the opportunities with the cards you have. Like, that's it. That's all it is. Because, like, I married a Vietnamese woman. Therefore, I now have access to nail salons by accident. That was complete, complete random thing I never thought would happen. Like, I started buying landlord properties, right? Complete accident. I just happened to have 50 grand lying around. So I bought one of the worst houses on the worst neighborhood on the worst part of town. And then I rented the thing for a thousand dollars, but the reason I, I owned it cash and I'm like, oh, this thing makes $700 profit a year or a month. And that's 700 times 10 because two months always goes to dumb stuff like taxes, insurance, hot water heaters, you know, yeah. so then it's 700 times 10. So that's $7,000. And you're like, wow, $7,000. That's, that's $7,000 a year that I don't really have to work for. Weird. Huh? And then, uh, then I started buying another one and then it made, that one made a thousand dollars profit a month. And I'm like, wow, now I make $1,700 a month. So that's $17,000 a year. I now make the average wage of a McDonald's worker. Congratulations, Lou. Good job. And then, and then, and then you just start, like, you start building it and you start building it. And next thing you know, you realize you don't actually have to work anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, and like, I never, like, and I never meant to be the fire movement. You know what I mean? I just didn't want to have a job. <laughs> which, which, like, fire is just you're you're creating a, a you're just creating a, a you know uh, a system around what you want because fire is too for me. I, I think the fire movement's too like how do you get there? Mm -hmm. I, I don't you know what I mean it doesn't have the milestones that people actually need and that's why the fire movement's great. That's why it's so hard because so nebulous. Because and that's why I create my master of the yield programs because then it's like, well, how does one achieve fire? And it's like, well, it's, there's a million answers, right? Like some people, grandma dies and they get this million dollar, they get these million dollar, uh, this million dollar, uh, their million dollars from their grandma bequeathed to them. And next thing you know, it's like, dude, you have a million dollars and they go buy like five houses and that's what they do. They're just a landlord of five houses. And that's their residual income. They make like 50 grand a year and that's it. They don't, they don't buy more. They don't buy less. They're happy. They're retired at age 35, whatever. I mean, everyone has their own vision of what their fire is. And that's the problem with the fire movement is everyone's like, everyone wants to be a billionaire or a multimillionaire. But some people, like some of my clients, they'll stop at like five properties and be like, I make 40 grand a year. It's too much a headache to own more. I don't want to do it. I like my four, I'm done. And the thing is, it's just cool though, because then, they make what they want to make, you know, they make their 40 and they have their four houses and they're growing their equity in the house because tenants are paying their mortgages. And the best part is after 30 years, they'll pay the mortgages off and then their income will double or triple because they're not paying the mortgages anymore. So then the guy who's making 40 is now making 120. So it's like, so they're like, they're, they're these built in little uh, retirement vehicles because after you pay off the mortgages, you get to keep all the cash. But then what's even cooler is now you have these four houses that are worth $1.2 million. And then you get to give that to your children. And then your children, obviously, you have to put it in a trust because children cannot be trusted ever. Right? So always put it in a trust. Because what will happen is, is the children will sell the sell the houses and then they'll burn the money away. And then they'll go back being back to broke. So you got to be careful <laughs> with children. Because, uh, yeah. So... That's uh, that's kind of like what the fire movement is. My whole thing is trying to create the milestones between fire, the movement, and actually achieving those. Because, like I said, if you would have told me I'd be a multi-million dollar or multi-millionaire landlord who owns a farm in Costa Rica who owned nail salons at one point, 
like or whatever weird business I happened to be in at the time. Like I, I would have been like, no, that's crazy. Why, why would any of that? Why? There's no trajectory here, right? It's all just madness and randomness. But at the end of the day, it wasn't madness. It's just I took advantage of the opportunities, but I knew how to take advantage of those opportunities. Because if you don't know how to take advantage of them, you'll squander them and you'll be broke. You know what I mean? Fair enough. I, I, I think the biggest takeaway that I got from that personally, at least, was uh, you mentioned you know your life's kind of been uh, a process of taking opportunities. And if nothing else, I think it's a good mindset takeaway, if nothing else. I mean, when opportunity comes knocking, answer the door. And, of course, capitalizing on those in a good way and a productive, profitable way is also a huge part of it. But, I mean, you've left yourself open for these things, and it's worked out very well for you. Correct me if I'm wrong. Again, let's go back. It's worked out great. But, like I said, the hardest part is realizing the opportunities there. Like, that's that's the hardest part because people – well, like, like they'll squander, they'll squander, like, like it takes a small fortune to become wealthy, right? The problem is, is so many people will squander the small fortune and they'll lose the opportunity to get the wealth because they squander the, like, like you'll burn through the fuel before you can even get the rocket ship off the ground, you know? And like, that's like my number one, that's why I work with a lot of people that like, Either they have that small fortune or they're, they're, they're called windfalls. Whenever a client gets a windfall, you're like, hey, this, this is an opportunity. If you never have to work again or build a portfolio or a legacy for your children, like this is your opportunity. And then they'll go out and buy Ford Raptors, like three of them in different colors. And, and I'm like, great. Tell me you, more. You are the third person in the last three months to bring up Ford Raptors on the podcast in this exact situation. So, so just for the record, everybody at home, if you want to be broke forever, go buy a Ford Raptor. Apparently, well, it's the most redneck thing thing I can think of. It's the most redneck thing I can think of that it's like, hey, Ford Ford Raptor, and then they buy three, so they'll buy a three car garage, right? And they'll have the three Ford Raptors in there, and then everyone will be impressed. I don't know who those people are, but they are impressed. It's kind of like my buddy; he's going through a midlife crisis right now, and he bought a Challenger. And the only people who show up to his show up to his car to sell him it's sell him it's cool are prostitutes and middle aged men that are like, "Wow, man, I wish my wife let me buy a Challenger." And I'm like, "Wow, it's attracting all the wrong people, isn't it?" Exactly <laughs> what you wanted. Um, God, I I have known several friends who have owned sports cars. None. I'm I'm too. I like to think I'm too young to have any friends going through a middle age crisis. Please don't take that the wrong way. Well, I'll be 34. I'll be 35 next month. So problem is I have like, so if you're a landlord, landlords like dog years, right? One year as a landlord is like seven years of human experience. You know what I mean? But I've been doing it for 12 years. So I'm technically, what's well, seven times 12? Well, oh, come on. Come on. You got it. Yeah, I got this. 84 plus my original third. Oh, yeah. So I've been doing it. So I'm 84 in landlord years. Yeah. Like I, I should be retiring by now. And the funny thing is, you make True. enough money. It's, you make enough money. It's actually, it's actually really kind of beautiful, really, because I have enough rental properties I could retire. So it really, is like dog years. Because uh, you know what I mean. I feel you on that. Uh, I say I feel you as not a landlord, but that is, that is really funny to say the least. 
Um, oh no! I tell people all the time. They're like, "Dude, you sound like you're in your 80s because you're so great, you're so gruff and angry, and you just you don't suffer fools at all." I'm like, "It's because I can't. Like, I'm a landlord, or I'm a debt. Because landlords are basically in the same genre of debt collectors. Like, oh, speaking of, of if you want to ruin a date, tell them your landlord, a lawyer who does dirt work, or a, a debt collector, and you'll see how that goes." Hey, a guy spent a couple years as a debt collector, or not a couple years, about a year as a debt collector. He's not wrong. He's not <laughs> wrong at all. <laughs> He's right. Oh, yeah. It's like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I demand money from people who don't have it. Oh, <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah, I, I, I called many old women on Social Security and was like, uh-huh, yes, ma'am, you still owe us $1,000. No, no, ma'am, ramen, they sell ramen at Walmart. Oh, see, that's not that's what landlords do too, because it's it's worse because you it's like you're a debt collector, but then you have all the other monstrous things about being a, a profession. I I I will say, I don't hate landlords at all. I am of course striving to be one. Uh, debt collectors may be the scum of the earth because uh, I hated it and I got out as soon as I could reasonably afford to. But some people they thrive for that environment. They oh, love yeah. it. Oh yeah. Oh man, there, there's there, like I said, there's a cog for every wheel. <laughs> There's a wheel for every cog, my friend. Like I said, like when you become a landlord, you you meet such interesting people. Like I said, we were just talking. We were talking before the before we hit the record button. We're talking about <laughs> metal of meth heads because like you just hang out in these groups of people so long, and you just <sighs> like like <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm I'm gonna make this a shirt. But like a metal of meth heads, it's kind of like a murder of crows, a gander of geese. Uh, I am. I am dead serious. Email me your address, and I will send you a medal of meth heads coffee mug. Oh no, it has to be like, dude, this is a movement. It's kind of like the fire movement. I don't know where it's going, but that's not the point. Sometimes it's just about the trajectory. Because <laughs> oh. uh, also, fun fact: I, I texted him while you, we were talking earlier. Uh, you are now also the second person in the last two months to bring up meth on the podcast. Well, it's they're everywhere. Like, it's such a huge problem now. It's like, I was just telling my buddy, I was pining for the days where we just had heroin addicts. Because at least those people make sense to me. You know? And then meth heads, it's like, there's not much going on up there. You know what I mean? It's it's like, at least with heroin, it's like, it's a person with a problem. Meth, it's like, it's a problem. And there's a per- there was a person there. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, I, I, I'm actually <laughs> pro-helping these people. However, I, I just have to deal with it every day. And I'm just like, someone needs to s- solve this problem. Somebody. Because it's it's really bad out there. And I, I deal with it every day. And I I, I, just, I feel sorry for these people. But then that's up. But there's one point where it's like, like the criminal justice system is not going to help these people. Like, I can't help these people. Them living in the street next to my house is not going to help these people. So, like, someone needs to figure out something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's an obvious problem. No one wants to. No one wants to solve it. I, I like I said, it's more of a, yeah. It is. It's a terrible thing, and I deal with it every day. And like I said, it just. It just. It, it just. Uh, it grinds my gears because it's just like just. It, there has to be a solution here. It just no one wants to do it. You know. I will say that that's the perk of uh, starting to invest in a college community. Um, I I don't partake in the devil's lettuce, but my uh, my backyard twenty four seven smells like pot. And I I can very well deal with potheads down the road 
play who play music a little loud on Saturday nights rather than a metal of meth heads. Oh man. Oh, it's it's terrible. And the worst part is I'll actually see it in my tenants. Like I, I can always tell when they're starting to get addicted because the money will stop flowing to me. And then the like then they're trying to pick between rent, food, and meth, and meth always wins. Oh, and then you got and then well, the best part is when they when they steal your copper, sell your copper, and then they call you to be like, hey, somebody stole my copper. Uh and but they so they'll steal your copper, give you the money when they sold the sold the copper, and then they'll complain to you about someone stealing the copper. That's my favorite. Are you are you at all familiar with the landlord horror stories podcast? No, but I'm sure I could be on there and I could tell them all sorts of wondrous things. I used to, I used, my favorite properties were the cat piss ones. I would just get out of the car, you could smell it from the street, and I just be like, ah, oh. it's kind of like back when I used to live in Pennsylvania. You know, I love the smell of cow manure in the morning. I would just get out of my car. I just love the smell of cat piss in the morning, and then I would usually buy those because normal people just run away from it. I'm just like, oh, dude, I can get cat piss out of anything, you know random skill set that i thought i would never have remember how we talked about like opportunities cat piss i can get cat piss smell out of anything and i'm not not terribly proud of that ability remember how i said i'm going to sample some of this to put in the front of the podcast i think i can get cat piss out of anything is is the clip that i'm putting up no context listen to the (laughs) listen to the end if you want to figure out what he's talking about Oh, oh no, it's funny, but that's just what it is, man. It's like, oh, I, I we bought this one place. Um, my cleaner asked me six times that someone actually lived there. It was a hoarder property. They had no working hot water heater for nine years. Like, wow. like they didn't have air conditioning, and those people lived in those conditions for nine years. And I bought the place, and my plumber lost his like lost his shit on me because he's just like, I can't believe you treat people like this. And I'm like, dude, I owned it like two weeks. Like, and I, that's why you're there to fix the hot water heater, which I just found out about. And then when they moved out, they're just like, did people really live in this? And I'm like, yes, for nine years. And they're like, okay, are you sure? Like, yes. Welcome to the meat hook reality of our, uh, welcome to the meat hooks of our reality. <laughs> this is, this is life. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I would do, I probably do quite well on that, on that, on that, uh, on that podcast. I I put the link for it in the in the Zoom chat. Dan's a cool guy. Hi, Howie. I I think you'd uh, you'd enjoy yourself, and I think you'd have a good time too. Um, oh yeah. Well, it's 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 like listen. I always tell people if you want to learn the culture of a of a society, become a landlord in that society because you're the linchpin of everything, right? You're linchpin between because you pay your property taxes. That goes to the school system. You got to deal with the government who's always complaining about your uh, tenants, you know, turning the front yard into a junkyard. You got to deal with the neighbors who complain that your, your your grass is too high and you're just sitting there trying to be like, well, dude, three, three door down, three doors, three doors down. There's like, I don't own that place. And there's literally a guy doing math in the parking lot. And they're over here complaining to me about my grass being one inch too high. And, but you know, it, <laughs> so it's like this weird but then but then you get to learn the people because you find out how good they are paying rent you get to learn all this strange stuff because like every now and again they always have these excuses of why you ain't got your money and it's always some weird remember the rabbit hole conversation some like some of the excuses i get are just beautiful like they're just so well orchestrated i almost feel bad 
so close to feeling bad. So close. So close. And then I remember, oh, wait, no, sorry. Where's my money? <laughs> oh, man. Like I said, and then, like, and, then, and then you're between the insurance companies. You're between the government. You got the tenants. You got the neighbors. Like, you're like, like pretty much you become like this epicenter for the culture of a society so quickly because you're just the guy who owns the building and everyone complains to you. Everyone. I'm going to start wrapping this up. Like we're, we're like right at the hour mark. And before we, I mean, God, we, we've gone through the meth talk now. So before we uh, devolve even further, which uh, based on even our conversation pre pre hit record could definitely happen. I'm kind of, I'm not trying to get canceled for this at least. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's start wrapping it up. Lucas, well, having you on, we might we might even do a part three, just because I'm I'm having fun doing this. Dude, if it makes you feel better, we should just make like a seven set series, like you know, like when you like the Hollywood Channel or not, no, the Hall Hallmark Channel when you were younger, and they'd be like, it's a five part series, and we should do like that, and then like we will have to structure it a little bit better, so I just don't go off the deep end, which I am known to do. Which no, 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 no. I I'm I'm here for the deep end. Like uh, we do a ten part series and. Every like you said, every time we just we pick a topic that starts serious, but then we end up talking about Disneyland or something. Oh, that's exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you just end up and you just end up in like the the strange part of life, and you're like, how did we even get here? It's like, but the point is, it's like it's kind of like the opportunities in fire, right? Like you don't pick they don't you don't pick them, they choose you. You know what I mean? It's like my number one model for being a master of the yield is. You don't get the opportunities, right? We all can't be the next person. You can't recreate Google. You can't recreate Facebook. You can't be the next PayPal. You can't be this. You can't be that. Like You know what I mean? Those people had those opportunities ahead of them, and they took advantage. You know, it's like Bill Gates. He got Microsoft because he was born right place, right time, right capital was injected in. Like, that's it. That's all it is. It's just like we can't. you can't go back in time and recreate that opportunity. Like, uh, like for a lot of the landlords right now, like the property values are so high that we're, we're running into opportunity issues with just the new generation anyway, because the property values are so high that nothing cash flows anymore. I mean, I'm in states I never thought I would be in. If I would, if you would have told me I'd be a landlord in Wisconsin, in Ohio, in Michigan, I'd be like, why? I got, I, I can buy in my own backyard. Like, why would I go in these other states? And then the the prices, you know, the cash flow just starts getting squeezed. Then you end up in these, and then you end up in Albuquerque, and then you end up in Las Vegas, and then you end up in all these other different cities. You know, and it, it, like I said, it's I, I never meant to do that. It's just I'm a landlord now for a living. And like I said, I'm an old dog, do trick type of guy. I, you know, what I mean, like I'm just gonna go for cash flow because it's that's all I know. You know what I mean? So, and so therefore, you start going from city to city to city recreating what you did in the first state in the first state and but that's I mean, that's the problem though it's like even even i'm starting to run out of opportunities because of just the the money because because i equate every, like pretty much the entire america is being boiled alive by just there being too much money in the system so it's all just sloshing around and it's just causing like mayhem in all the markets. I'll just give an example. I was buying two, I was buying fourplexes in Albuquerque, New Mexico, like a year and a half ago. The property values doubled because a hedge funds dropped a money bomb in Albuquerque. 
and we all made we all made double equity in a year and six months, which sounds cool until you realize I'm a cash flow guy. I don't care about equity. Equity is yeah. meaningless to me. I want to have doors. I want to have a hundred doors. I want to have a thousand doors. So, it, it, but it's terrible because I'm literally watching the system being boiled up from boiled up from the bottom up. You know, because and that's like like I told you, landlords are such a strange beast, right? Because because you literally are in you're in it more than anyone else. Like I, I I'm the one though. I'm the I'm like the first warning sign. I'm the canary in the coal mine because I'm like, well, dude, how is anyone like even me? I'm raising my rents and I'm like, dude, how's anyone supposed to pay this? But it's like, but they're like, that's what market rate rent is. I'm like I know, but how's anyone supposed? Like even I'm starting to feel bad sometimes because it's like. It's like the rent's doubling in some places. And I'm like, how are they supposed to pay it? I don't know, man. It's just what's what they said it is. Oh, okay. And then people pay it. And I'm like, wow, this none of this makes any okay. Just don't, 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 don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Don't ask how the sausage is made. Let's do it, Luke. All right, good. It's, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think I, I got a little lost there, but I, I think I followed. I uh, think of it like this, right? So, like, so many people, there's so many cash buyers, like, to the point now, now cash buyers, the problem is cash buyers don't care about interest rates. So, interest rates are forcing people like me out. It's forcing people like you out because you can't afford the interest Mm -hmm. rates payments, right? But a cash buyer doesn't care because all he cares about is $500,000 makes $5,000 income. So for him, he can get a six, eight, nine percent cap rate or return or yield, yeah. no matter what, because he's just he's in a he's in a completely different market system than we are. We're dictated by what the Fed does, right? So the problem is, is you'll have like so even though we stop buying because we can't borrow money that makes sense for us anymore, there's other people that are buying just buying cash or they're buying they're they're, they're putting huge down payments and getting sweetheart deals. And, you know what I'm saying? They are not being limited by this. So that's why you're still seeing prices stay stable or going up because there's people who are unaffected by the interest rates. So what we're going to do for part three is I'm going to hit record and talk. I won't just talk for like 40 minutes. I'm going to set aside the time and then let you talk for like another hour. Cause I don't like how we're getting the back end of this. I'm like, wow, that is a super good point that I have not heard anyone else bring up at all. <laughs> Well, it's because I'm a low income I'm a low income landlord. So like I can see like like I told you, like it's the canary in the coal mine. Like all my tenants are section eight now because the rent is so astronomical that only section eight can afford to live in low income areas. Like like I am the canary in the coal mine. Like I see I see the issues way before anyone else because you know, when you're financially stable, you know, people can just it can just kind of people can, can they can survive the savings come in. But I'm the guy that's like I I actually like so when people with some people when people hit my markets like I see almost instantaneous issues right it's like hey everyone like I can see the economy go the blip so quickly because it's like hey everyone lost their job hey this happened hey like inflation happened hey gas is too high because I get to watch people try to figure out if they're gonna pay me pay the gas bill pay for food. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm really watching people make financial decisions between, but the worst part is they always pay rent because that's the one thing, the one thing that's the most important thing. It's, uh, who is it? The mob? You got to pay the mob. You got to pay your landlord. And then everyone else is after that, right? 
um so that, that that's the tears my friends but uh but basically like it that's like the like i told you when you were a landlord especially in the low-income areas like i get to see like i get to, I, like i'm the canary in the coal mine i get to see the things no one else does because i have to i have to deal with the financial decisions and i get to watch the economy literally crush people on a regular basis it's it's a terrible thing right i literally will watch my my, my tenants become drug addicts because i because of the money flow issues um, I'll literally watch them have to pick between between you know paying their car payment and then their card will get repoed and then they'll get evicted because they can't get to their job anymore because the public school or the, the public transport system doesn't work. Um, I get to watch people trying to pick between chemo and rent, and that's always a fun conversation. I've had like three of those in my life where it's like chemo, rent, chemo, rent. And rent usually wins. And uh, it's a very sad day. Like I said, like you said about debt collection, it's sometimes you, it's like you just get in situations with magic math and it's a terrible thing. But yeah, like I said, it's uh, that's landlording for you, especially in the low income. Because uh, the middle income, they can always get credit cards, they can get loans, they can refinance, they can do this, 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 and this. They can sell assets, right? And they, they, they can always put, you know, a bandage over the uh, over the wound uh, or the gushing wound, wound they say and then the rich people are completely unaffected because nothing matters to them right they did live within paper right they, they don't actually make they don't make money they just move assets around you know yeah. oh wow hey i need to make a million dollars this year well well don't make a million dollars just refinance a house that has a million dollars in equity in it and it's a tax-free event so therefore i can just but then we just pay then we just have but then we just raise the rent on all the people so therefore those people pay the interest we get to live tax-free on the million dollars and the people we just raise the raise the whatever we have to on the people we extract money from and they'll counterbalance the money that we get for the higher interest rates then they just live within the paper so yeah anyway society <laughs> there's your economic commentary for the week um well very well versed economic commentary this isn't you know your unemployed cousin who still uh, lives in his parents' basement at thirty at thirty five on a soapbox. This is a guy out there doing it with you know an experience, lower income, bad economic times. They're going to be the first ones hit. You you are the leading indicator, like you said. Um, but I guess yeah, moving you know back into wrapping this up, um, Lucas. Well, Flyer is so important because you know I I that's like that's actually why I'm such a good financial planner because I get to see. I get to see the top, the bottom, and I get I get to, I literally get to watch people fall through the tiers of society from from top to bottom. I get to watch the people claw their way from the bottom to the top. It's quite a beautiful thing, really. All right, then, yeah, Lucas, uh, where can we find you <laughs> online? Uh, you can find me at www.rhmreal.com, uh, which is real like real estate, not real like fishing. Um, I've been doing I've been doing financial planning for the last five years. Um, the reason I became a financial planner is because uh, I really get to like I deal with all aspects of society, and the best part about that is like like in one day I can really talk to a redneck in the trailer park because I'm doing a showing for them or I'm doing whatever for as a landlord, and the very next day I'll be at a swab party with a bunch of people that are asking why who let me in. And, uh, but I paid the, I paid the country cup dues, so they can't ask me to leave. 
no matter how many times they complain. Anyway, so yeah, that's pretty much what my day looks like. It's literally like, and it's so funny because it'll be so rapid sometimes. Like I'll literally be in LA at like multi a party with multimillionaires, and then the very next week I'll be in a trailer park, like trying to buy mobile homes off people and just you know feeling mobile home park stuff, which which is my favorite stuff actually. I mean, hey, if it we're, we're talking to some money, it's obviously worked out pretty well for. So, I mean, hey, if that if that's life, that's life. Um, yeah. I, and then I, you got your third asset. Now that we're on the last thing, I, I, <laughs> I hate businesses to death. Let me talk about real estate. So, my asset class has always been the real estate class because, um, well, it's it's like monopoly, right? Buy three houses and buy four houses, upgrade to hotel. Like it's not it's not a new business. <laughs> not risky it's just math like it's not even hard math it's bare bones basic math okay expenses are less than revenue okay we can buy this guys are you sure yes because revenue is higher than expenses that means we're making a profit are you sure Luke? yes uh, we ran their numbers through excel hundreds of times and it makes a profit oh okay is it complicated like crypto or or like uh, insurance products or stock markets. No, it's expenses versus revenue. You know what I mean? It's it's so it's so easy to understand because it's like you know what I mean? anyone can figure it out. Like I, I mean I'm an, I'm like people. It's really funny when people realize I'm actually a really smart guy because I uh, I just have this persona. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to say I've joked around about the persona or anything, but I, I have never attempted to like doubt you being a smart guy or know what you're talking about. You would be amazed. Like people don't like this accent sometimes. And they're like, wow, there's mm. no way that guy has money. And I'm like, yes, yes, you are right. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> As- I, pay, I paid the country club dues. Here's my membership. You can't ask me to leave. <laughs> uh, so, As somebody from the deep South, uh, you're preaching to me on the, uh, on the accent thing. Right, exactly. It's like it's like, and a lot of people don't realize it's like a discriminated against thing. Like it's so funny to me because it's like it's one of those really weird things you don't even really think about until you're like, oh wow, you have a draw. Yeah, he can't be smart. People with draws don't have, aren't smart. You're like, guys, okay. (laughs) If you've ever seen Sweet Home Alabama, it's a whole plot point in the movie. Um, Oh yeah, exactly. It's like it's one of those things, but yeah. So there's your three asset classes. There's really nothing else. There's no get rich schemes. Like there's no get rich schemes. There's nothing. Like I mean, the only other way is being a business and selling education. But then you come to those YouTube gurus who sell burr and all that other good stuff. And then, uh, but they don't actually sell. They just sell you education, which education is a strong word. Uh, Bitcoin will hit 100k at the end of the year. I'm 100 percent sure of it. Buy liquidate your assets. But this is education. <laughs> yes, I disagree with everything just said. But yes, it's cool. It's because it's just it's just, well, like it look if you look at it, it's just a Ponzi scheme because you have to get so you get the the new investors to pay the old investors, and that's the only way the machine works is because there's no service being done. There's no value. It's just Ponzi scheme. It's I take money from the first person. Uh, I take money. I take money from the from the new people. I pay the old people, and then you have wh- who is it? Enron, and then you have Enron, and it's a beautiful thing. Sam Bankman-Fried, 
he uh oh god he got he got prosecuted this week and i i could not be happier about it yes i i I agree i had i had zero dollars in ftx i lost no money send him to jail i don't care if i don't have a stake into this my favorite part of his you know like i don't know i i i follow him not because i want to because they just like the news just news oh yeah the news feed just feeds it to me he he had the world's best publicist one of my favorite stories about that guy he was on like good morning america and he's like trying to explain what ftx was and then like it was like the newscaster's like yeah um uh, that's a that's a Ponzi scheme, and the guy's like, "Oh no, it's not a Ponzi scheme because it's digital." And it's like, the guy's like, "Dude, that's a that's a Ponzi scheme." And the worst part is, is like, once the newscaster realized it was a Ponzi scheme, the guy just keeps talking, and they're like, they like forcing him to keep talking to him, and the guy's like, "Dude, he's literally like, he went on national television and told me it's a Ponzi scheme, and I'm just supposed to act like this is fine." And it's just the funniest interview ever. Because like 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 you can just tell the newscasters like this is a this is a Ponzi scheme. How is he on this news network selling this? <laughs> oh, go watch that. It's my favorite yeah. thing ever. Because you find a financially literate person talking to a to a to a to a con artist, and then you're talking to the masses who are financially illiterate. So it's like such a beautiful uh explosion of people in the same room together i i googled it because i've never seen this and as soon as we we hop off of here i'm gonna look it up uh but yeah the interview was with matt levine matt levine i don't know how to say the guy however you pronounce his last name but yeah if you just google sam bankman freed um ponzi scheme interview bloomberg reported on the interview the guardian did Coffeezilla made a video on it. The New York Times has it. Um, yeah, how did I never hear about this? Because it's, it, there's just so much dumb stuff that they do that it's it's really hard to even tell what the like. It's dumb money, right? There's so much dumb. It's really hard to see the not dumb, you know, because <laughs> you're just so overloaded with so much stupidity that you're like, you're like, and I I just loved it because I'm like I'm like because it's such an allegory for what happened. You know what I mean? Like the guy went on national television, explained it what it was, and Matt and Matt Lowry, I think it was Matt Lowry, either way, he's just like, oh, well, that's a that's a Ponzi scheme, and like and everyone just acts like it's fine, right? It's this is fine. Are you sure? And the funny thing is, is like try to salvage it, but it just keeps getting worse because just keeps repeating the same stuff over and over but it's a digital ponzi scheme that means it's it's smart and educated i'm like cool well yeah tell me more anyway uh there's all sorts of smart like it's so funny to me because the writing's on the wall like remember i told you about reading about crypto in the proto stock market before the security exchange commission the writing's already on the wall like nothing that's happening is new it's it's just regular old fraud packaged in a sexy box and it's just the sexy box of fraud versus you know age old ugly fraud which which is just you know in a cardboard box which is not sexy which that's kind of like your enrons of the world right it's a it's like here's an ugly box of, of the fraud versus a super sexy box of fraud but yeah if you just start looking in history you'll start to realize that wow like that's why i never did crypto right because it's like 
Um, I'm like I'm like Matt, Matt Lowry, you know. It's like, hey, it's a it's a Ponzi scheme, and everyone else is like, no, Luke, everything's fine, you know. But then, but then it's so. But like I said, it's like it's such a beautiful moment in time because the guy, because the smartest guy in the room, no one's gonna listen to, <laughs> and you can literally see his face. This is a scam. Uh, what? <laughs> and. But it's like that he has so much hype and everyone gets lost in the hype. And that's the problem is uh, anyway. But yeah, it's one of my favorite interviews of all time. Cause it's just like, it's like the emperor with no clothes, but on national television. And I just found it. Uh, I'll link it at the bottom uh, right next to uh, right under Luke's website. Sweet. And with that, yeah, I am going to put a, go ahead and put a close on this. Um, no Luke, Thank you so much, part two. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it once again. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll email you out of the blue in like another year and a half, and we'll do a part three. We'll see how it goes. Might as well. Oh, and we're like that uh, that one uh, that one movie. Uh, ah, yes. It? Clerks. Clerks one, Clerks two, and Clerks three. They do it every like ten years. You know what I mean? Like, uh, we'll be like the shortened version of that. <laughs> I gotta look that up because I've uh, never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> oh my god you make me feel old then again i'm 84 and like so that makes sense i'll be 26 in like two weeks you've only got eight years on me that's not that much i know but i'm a landlord well you understand i've i like i have had i had lifetimes of experience pushed upon me against my will swear to god man like I'm, I'm so excited when you finally become a landlord and then we do these podcasts together and it's like a complete different like tonal shift with you and you're just like yes <laughs> i'll give you one last story one last story and then i'm done so i had a buddy of mine who's not a landlord and my wife started out my wife's a landlord too and she started out like everyone starts out in landlording i'm gonna do it different i'm gonna treat people with respect everyone's gonna be nice to me they're just gonna pay rent on time it's gonna be beautiful because i'm a good person and people like paying rent that's how everyone starts and then after six months they all end up like me right like like just just you know i'm not jaded but i'm definitely close i'm as i'm as i'm as close to the word just jaded as humanly possible and it's like that's why i told you i sometimes almost feel bad but you can't Point is, is my buddy, he he had never been a landlord. He was just telling me about, you know, because half the time you do it, like you do an eviction, people just look at you like you're a monster. I'm like, dude, just pay rent. It's not that hard. Like, it's just part of the business. But it's like one of those things they just think is monstrous. But it's like, hey, I have a mortgage to pay. They're these, they're technically stealing from me. And you uh, somehow they get the sympathy. Anyway, so my, my buddy's just telling me how, like, if you can do it better everything like that's not how it works if i ever became a landlord i would be the best ever at it i'm like fantastic and then he goes and then my wife's there and he goes he's like he's like hey wife don't you agree with me he's in the wrong my wife had been a landlord for a year now and her immediate response was fuck tenants and i'm like and she and it's funny because my wife is the nicest human being on the earth and this is completely uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic for her personality. And her immediate response is fuck tenants. And I'm less like, I'm like, see, 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 I told you. Like, that's what they do to you. That's what they do to you. Like, you start out here and then you end up here. And everyone gets mad at you for being here, but it wasn't me. Okay. Like, like they made me this. 
If they were just nicer people, I would not be a monster. <laughs> if they pay rent on time, I wouldn't be a monster. If I did all, if I just, like, you know what I mean? Every landlord starts like that, doughy-eyed, unicorns and rainbow, and then everyone ends up being Joe Pesci from the super. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it works. That's the evolution of landlording. Mm. Like, I think that, like, um, and there's another good one. Go, go look, we watch the super uh, with Joe Pesci. It turns out a lot of people tell me that I remind me of him. Like, they're like, yeah, dude, you're like that Joe Pesci at Landlords. Like, I think that's a couple. Is that a couple, I guess? Yes. Go wild, Luke. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's another one of my lovely landlord stories. So when you go out there, always remember your landlords are people, too. Unless they're a giant corporation, then you know, not so much. But uh, but if they're people, you remember they gotta remember they're people. There's people behind the landlords, and sometimes it's the contractors. You know what I mean? Just it just gotta be reasonable. I'm reasonable about everyone that I've ever worked with. I'm always reasonable. A lot most of my tenants love me, except for the ones who owe me money. But I mean, that's just like that there's nothing to do with us as people. That's mm -hmm. that's a that's a debt collection issue. So Anyway, that's my shout out for landlording <laughs> as well. I, I do want to say also one one last thing before I, I'm I'm putting it close on it. We're gonna hit stop recording for sure this time because I I pay my editor by the hour. Um <laughs> uh oh yeah, that's how we're gonna start tracking like my financial progress. A year and a half ago when you and I first met, I was unmarried, living with my in-laws. Um uh, now here we are a year and a half later, I got a better job for first home married uh probably some other stuff too that i just can't think of right now so in a year and a half we gotta we gotta like we gotta hold me that standard i need a couple doors and i, I gotta show growth so that, that's that's my new goal in life every 18 months i have to impress lucas a little more when i cold nice. when i cold email him out of the blue i did not think you'd respond to me but i was so happy when you did of course i'll respond to you uh, dude i I'm, I'm a man of the people i'm a union guy right like, I don't know why, I, like, I, I love the fact that country clubs, you just have to pay a due and they can't kick you out. I think that's my favorite part of it is uh, as long as you pay the money, you can annoy them and piss at those people. Oh, man, there's nothing more. There's nothing I find. And it's, and I can't wait till I'm like multi-million dollars. Like, like, I'm already a millionaire, but like, I can't wait till I'm like ultra wealthy. And then when I'm in these, in these country clubs, I'm going to be like, Luke, how did you make your first hundred million? I'm like, uh, trailer parks. And uh, slumlording. How'd you guys make your money? And I'm like, uh, who's what? I'm like, how are you guys doing? And they're like, oh my god, like you know, it's kind of like the hill. Like, what is it, Beverly Hillbillies? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like the modern day age of those people. All right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Lucas Thomas, RHM Real Financial Planning. Check him down in the description. Subscribe on YouTube, five stars, whatever it is, I, whatever my usual rant is. Let's just go with that. We'll see you next week.